whose team are you on? Who do you support? I am reluctantly team Jess. Okay. Can I be like team Babette slash Kirk? That's not how these teams work, is it? Welcome to Pennies and Popcorn, the show about real money lessons from the world of TV and movies. With your hosts, Carla Cash and Robert Davidson, a couple of personal finance geeks and movie lovers. Hey guys, welcome to episode three of Pennies and Popcorn. Today, I am so excited because we're talking about one of my all-time favorite TV shows. I can't believe you dragged me into this. Drum roll, please. It's the Gilmore Girls. Actually, there's no the. They dropped the the. It's cleaner that way. Uh, yeah, Gilmore Girls aired in 2000 and ran for how many seasons, Robert? Seven seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, how... do we count the bonus seasons? Mm. Do we count the, the four extra Netflix episodes? It's like a half a season. Okay. And how many of those seasons have you seen? I have seen, we watched the pilot to prepare for this episode. Are you are you going to sit here and lie to these people? Is that well, what you're going to do? Well, you cut me off. I was going to say, and before that, I may have watched the DVD collection that we have downstairs. That's right. DVDs, folks. That is correct. I mean, it came out in the year 2000. What are you going to do? It survived the Y2K crisis. <laughs> survived with us for several different moves and sat in storage for a long time and yeah, now it is downstairs, tucked away in a random bookshelf. But yeah, it is definitely one of my all-time favorite TV shows. And audience, I have seen every episode. That is correct. I loved it. It's a good show. Yeah, more than once, probably. I've made it a few rounds through. It's been in syndication before. So. It is It is a great TV show. So I've already declared my love for the show. Do you, do you like it, Robert? Uh, yeah, I think it has a lot to offer. Right. The fun, zippy dialogue is pretty entertaining. There are a lot of characters to like and enjoy. There's a lot of good, talented actors and actresses that are part of the show. Right, Lauren Graham, Alexis Bledel, Melissa McCarthy. Uh, I mean, those are kind of the, the bigger names that are on the show, but plenty of other people who had small bits or major roles, recurring cast members. Uh, yeah, maybe my favorite is Sally Struthers. Right, She plays Babette on the show. <laughs> yeah. I, I love you, Sally. I remember the commercials from when I was a kid. You were telling me about how to go get an education on TV. Uh, it was great. <laughs> so you, you filled my heart when I saw you on Gilmore Girls, too. Yeah, there's just so many wonderful characters on the show. Kirk, who I think has something like 62 jobs, I'm pretty sure. I read that somewhere over the course of the series. Every time we see him, he's got a new gig. That, that was one of the things that made me sad about the pilot. No Kirk. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and actually, fun fact, when we first meet Kirk, he's not called Kirk. He's going by something different. <sighs> so, I mean, it's mind-blowing, you know? These are the tough things you have to wrap your head around. I think I may have to buy, boycott the show. <laughs> Amy Sherman Palladino is the director, writer. What's her role in the show? Both. Both director and writer. Okay, she's done a bunch of stuff, right? She has, and she really is the reason that I like the show so much. It's that snappy dialogue that you just can't get enough of and all the pop culture references that she just jam packs into her scripts which fun fact the scripts for Gilmore Girls on average were about double the length of a normal hour-long tv episode 
And it's just because the characters talk so incredibly fast. And Amy Sherman Palladino, I think, was the driving force behind that. She wanted her actors to get every line of dialogue exactly correct. There was no ad-libbing. And you said the words on the page and you said them fast and you got them out and you moved on. And that was that. That's definitely the feel of the show to me. Yeah, it's very, very fast paced, to put it mildly. You got to drink a lot of coffee to keep up with Gilmore Girls. Well, uh, for those of you who don't know any of her other work, um, I believe she did The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. What are some of the other ones? So her other TV show primarily, at least the one that I'm aware of, was called Bunheads, which is a tragic story because that was an absolutely fabulous TV show and it got canceled after just one season. So yeah, we should all take a moment of silence for the dearly departed Bunheads because it was a great show that never got a chance. Hmm. I didn't check it out, but I was going to point out that we're doing this show about the pilot, right? That's what we're talking about on Pennies and Popcorn today. Not Gilmore Girls, the whole series necessarily, but primarily focused on the pilot. There's a harp player in season one. Uh, the actress who plays the harp player also plays Susie Meyerson on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I thought that was fun. There's a little bit of continuity there. Yeah, I think this is something that Amy Sherman Palladino is kind of known for. She has actors that she really likes and she sticks with them. She's basically the Quentin Tarantino of TV. Yeah, I think that's true. So she actually wanted Alex Borstein, who plays um, the harpist in the pilot episode and then later Susie Myers, um, Myerson. Myerson. Yeah, she wanted Alex to play Stuky St. James, the role that, of course, ended up going to Melissa McCarthy. So they had cast Alex as Suki. They were thrilled about it. And then some kind of scheduling conflict, Alex had to back out. But I think you could say they got a pretty good substitute in Melissa McCarthy because... She would have been good in that role, but Melissa McCarthy, what a gem, national treasure. Yeah. And she just absolutely nailed Suki. Like you could not have found anybody to do a better job with Suki. They would have had to written the character much differently to, to fit... The other lady. Yeah, she's so sweet and funny at the same time. Fabulous character. So I found a couple of fun facts I wanted to share about the show. Fire away. Okay, so we've talked a lot about the ladies. We haven't talked much about Luke. He's played by Scott Patterson. Do you know what his career was before becoming a professional actor? Robert, you should know better than this. You're not going to out Gilmore Girl trivia me. I know everything there is to know about the show Gilmore Girls. I know that he was a baseball player. I don't know if he ever made it to the majors, but I think he was in the minors. That's my best guess. Well, Carly, you're correct. He was (laughs) a pitcher, uh, a baseball pitcher. Uh, He played in the minor leagues. The question is, did he spend more time, more years playing minor league baseball? Or starring on Gilmore Girls? Well, you have stumped me. This is the one piece of Gilmore trivia I I don't know. Um, I I mean, he's not young when we meet him. He's got to be in his late 30s, early 40s when he's on the pilot episode. So probably more time in baseball. It's actually a trick question. It was a tie. Seven (laughs) years in minor league baseball, seven seasons of Gilmore Girls, if we're not counting the most recent extra four. Did you know he had a spot on Seinfeld? He was a guest actor there. I don't believe I did. Elaine deemed him sponge worthy. <laughs> oh my gosh. 
My last little bit of information about Scott Patterson. Have you seen the I Am All In podcast? I know that it exists, but I have not listened to it yet. Okay. I did not know about it until doing a little digging before this episode. I had no idea. So Scott, the actor who plays Luke, has started a podcast this year. He started in 2021 where he watches the Gilmore Gilmore Girls episode and discusses it with his producers and guests, often who are people who are on the show. And he just kind of gives his take about all things. So if you are a big Gilmore Girls fan... I recommend it. I know we listened to the Gilmore Gals podcast. Oh, that's for right. I a forgot about that. Before. Mm-hmm. So this is a little bit more behind the scenes look from somebody who is a part of filming and who knows all the actors who played the different roles and has a, probably an interesting take on the show. I listened to just a few minutes of it today. It was okay. <laughs> I'm sure I would love it. I really like Scott Patterson. At least I like him on the show. And uh, yeah, as I have demonstrated already, I am definitely a big fan of Gilmore Girls trivia, so I'm sure all the behind-the-scenes stuff would be fun. Well, should we jump into a little bit more about the show? Yeah, we are going to focus on the uh, pilot episode today. So let's just do like a super, super brief plot summary of episode one, season one. So it's the story of a mother and daughter. We have these two central characters who are the Gilmore Girls. Lorelai Gilmore is the mom and Rory Gilmore is her daughter. And it's just kind of about their life in this adorable small town of Stars Hollow, Connecticut, which is a place that I think a lot of people wish existed in real life because uh, it's just so cute. And yeah, kind of all of the family dramas and, you know, Rory growing up together it's kind of a drama, but it's largely a comedy. Mostly it's, it's funny. So the first episode has so much happening in it. I had forgot just how much plot they packed into this one 45 minute episode. You have to set up the characters and the conflict. There's a lot you have to do. Yeah, they certainly accomplished it in this one. So I think we should go ahead and take a listen to our very first clip. This is about um Rory getting some big news and just to set up the clip a little bit we have seen Rory um just a tiny bit in her school she goes to public school in Stars Hollow and we see enough of it to get the vibe that it's not maybe the most academically excellent institution on the face of the earth there's a clip where they're doing a paper on is it Huckleberry Finn or Tom Sawyer, some Mark Twain piece. And the teacher says, you can finish reading it. You can work on your essay. I don't care what you do, just do it quietly. And most of the kids haven't even read the book or have no interest in doing their assignment. And there's Rory dutifully working away on her paper. Yeah, and the other kids are kind of scoffing at her for working on the assignment. While the rest of them are painting their nails, I believe. I would say the Stars Hollow High is not the most academically focused school in the Northeast. Yeah. So with that in mind, let's take a listen to our first clip. You're happy. Yeah. Did you do something slutty? I'm not that happy. (laughs) (laughs) Here. What's going on? Open it. I'm going to be in a Britney Spears video. You're going to Chilton. (laughs) Sorry. Mom? You did it, babe. You got in. (laughs) How did this happen? 
You didn't with the principal, did you? No, honey, that was a joke. They have an open spot. You're gonna start on Monday. Really? Really. I don't believe this. Oh my God, I'm going to Chilton? Yeah. <laughs> Suki, I'm going to Chilton. I'll make cookies. Protestants love oatmeal. <laughs> Before so, we talk about Chilton, I just love the Britney Spears reference. It's very, it's right on point. So yeah, you can't see this in the audio clip, but um, it's a plaid skirt that Rory is pulling out of the bag that Lorelai has handed to her, which is why she thinks she's going to be in a Britney Spears video. So yeah, and if you couldn't recognize her voice, that is Melissa McCarthy playing Suki there, um, along with Lauren Graham playing Lorelai. So there's so much to talk about here. Lorelai is giving Rory this amazing news that she's gotten into Chilton, which you know you can tell from the context um, is a school. And we learn that this is not just any school, but a really well-reputed, hoity-toity, fancy private school. So Rory is obviously extremely excited about this news that she's gotten into the fabulous Chilton. Did you know Chilton is based on a real school? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I should stop asking you <laughs> silly questions. So for all you uh, audience members out there, uh, it's based on Choate Rosemary Hall, I believe is the name of it. It's a boarding school in Connecticut. And it seems to produce a bunch of fantastic actors. Wow. Yeah. See, you might not know everything about <laughs> the, you know, go three layers, three layers deep. Enlighten me. Enlighten me. So Michael Douglas went to school there. Oh. So did Glenn Close. So did Jamie Lee Curtis. Wow. Paul Giamatti. Oh, wow. Well, it sounds like quite the place to go to school. Um, in Gilmore Girls, it is, of course, presented to be, you know, this fabulous place, um, which seems very high end. So I think this raises some questions about the finances behind it. How much is it going to cost? And is it worth it? Do we think it makes sense for parents to send their kids to private school? And along the same lines, we learn later in the show that it's always been Rory and Lorelai's dream that Rory would get into Harvard. So what do we think? Is it necessary to go to a private school to get into some place like Harvard, into one of the Ivies? Which, what are your takes on this? So is it necessary? Psh, no, of course not. Not even close to necessary. The real question is, does it give you a leg up? Because you can get into Harvard from all kinds of different backgrounds. You need to be exceptional, right? I think we looked this up. The admission statistics are not good, right? I think they admit a couple thousand students a year and what, at about a roughly 5% clip? Yeah, that means 5% of the students who apply to Harvard get in. So your odds are not good. Right. So, yeah, do you need to go to a private school? No, not at all. That's definitely not the case. There's a student from my high school graduating class who went to Harvard. Um, smart guy, brilliant young man. And he had great grades. He was involved in a lot of stuff. Excellent standardized test scores, excellent AP test scores. He brought a lot to the table, played the violin, did all kinds of awesome stuff. So there's plenty of ways to get there without going to a fancy private school. Well, first of all, you should tell the folks at home that you went to a public school, but also it was a magnet public school. So not your ordinary public school. That's true. I did go to a very academically focused high school. It was not at all like Stars Hollow High. <laughs> However, 
I believe there are plenty of places that you can come from. You just have to stand out. You have to be unique and exceptional. I think that's what's really important. You went to a private school. I did go to a private school. Why didn't you go to Harvard? I don't know. I guess I missed the boat. Maybe we should get on a timesheet and I should have applied to Harvard. I didn't even consider applying to the Ivy League schools because I knew they were just incredibly, obscenely expensive. And it just wasn't something that I was even interested in. I did apply to one private school in Texas, the state where I'm from, but it was always very clear that I was either gonna get a full ride there or I wasn't gonna go. And I didn't end up getting a full ride. I got a partial scholarship. So we said, poo-poo on that, I'm going to a state school. Well, look at you and your fancy scholarship dollars. (laughs) Sorry, it didn't work out. Yeah, I'm not. It worked out. I mean, you and I met in undergrad, so. That's true. I don't have a whole lot of regrets on that front. Um, At least not that I'm willing to admit to on camera. So I don't think it, the, the simple answer is no, you don't have to go to a private school or fancy elite private school to get into Harvard. There's lots of pathways to get there. Maybe a better question is, does it help you? Like, if you go to a school like Stars Hollow High, where maybe it's hard for you to get involved in as many things because there's not enough peers to help get interesting stuff off the ground. Everyone's worried about painting their nails. That's what they're doing in class instead of doing their assignment. Yeah. So do you get a boost from going to an elite, super competitive private school? We did some digging. We found that 36% of the, the freshman class at Harvard entering in 2001 had come from a private school. And if you want to compare that to the population at large, about 10% of U.S. students go to private schools. So a larger share of Harvard students come from private schools than the population at large. But wasn't there some bias in that data? They have a lot of legacy students that get admitted and that enroll into the Ivy League schools. And those are grossly disproportionately coming from elite private schools as their parents are kind of trying to feed them on a pipeline that sends them to the Ivies. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I I forget exactly what the percentage was, but I think it was 60 to 70% of the kids coming from private schools that get into Harvard are legacies. So it's hard to distinguish, are they getting a leg up from having gone to a private school or are they getting a leg up because they were a legacy and they would have had that leg up even if they'd gone to a public school. So... If you look this up on the internet, you will find a lot of articles telling you that admissions folks at these elite universities want kids that they can root for, which often means kind of like the underdog kids. And I'm sure that's true to a large extent, but I think there's probably a lot of unconscious bias that goes into it as well. And if you've got a kid that's just had access to more extracurricular activities, maybe more interesting opportunities coming from a private school, that's still going to be impressive to them, even though the kid did have that leg up of coming from a private school. So I think coming from the private school, your quiz bowl team is going to do better at state. You're probably going to have uh, a more developed drama program that's better funded by parents than what the, the local public school is able to offer. The newspaper may be more developed and you may have greater parental involvement because everyone who's sending their kids to school there is spending a lot of money and is doing so because they think it's giving their children the best chance at the best life. And so they're willing to to pitch in a little bit more than just Joe taxpayer is doing. 
So I think, yeah, there is some bias there, even no matter what the admissions officers say, students who go to those private schools or schools that have a lot of academic focus are in an environment where it's easier for them to go develop that resume to put together that list of accomplishments that helps them stand out relative to the average person from across the country who might be interested. So yeah, I, I think, I think it would help, but it's definitely not necessary. Maybe another question here for poor Rory is why does she want to go to an Ivy league school? And is it really worth it? They're expensive colleges. They're difficult to get into. Does it, does it pay off going to school there relative to other just traditional undergraduate programs at a, at a state college? I think that is another really excellent question for folks to consider, um, especially if you are you know, a young person or a parent of a young person who's thinking about this. My take on it is that going to an undergraduate Ivy League school is probably not worth it for a lot of people. I think you need to go into it with a very specific plan on what you're going to get out of it and what you're going to do with that degree because in general just you know having the panache of being able to say that you went to harvard is probably not going to get you as far in life as you might think we did look up what the average starting salaries are for graduates coming from ivy league schools versus just a regular college graduate from a non-ivy school and they generally are higher, which of course isn't shocking information, but they're not much higher. So the average starting salary for a just general college graduate across all majors is about $55,000. Coming from an Ivy League school, the average can bump up to anywhere from like 58 up to about 82. But to get up to those higher numbers like the 80s, you have to be coming from one of the technical schools, MIT or Caltech. Uh, Carla, fun fact, Which, neither of those are Ivy League schools. <laughs> I, was, I guess elite schools is what I'm talking about here. And of course, if you're coming from MIT or Caltech, you're, I don't think they even offer like a you know psychology major or whatever it might be. Um, so generally, you're not looking at an it's not as big of a bump. bump in salary if that's what you're focused on. So Ivy League schools, let's not... This isn't jealousy or anything like that. I'm I'm impressed by people who go there. They have a ton to offer. The network, the people that you go to school with are all fantastic, phenomenal, really capable, exceptional individuals that would be wonderful to have in your network. Right? The people that you know, that you can build relationships with, and will likely lead you to all kinds of great things if you stick together for a long time. I think if you're going to go to an Ivy League school, though, you better plan on doing more than that, right? You better plan on going to a graduate program where it'll help your resume further or a, an elite law school because you have your eyes set on being a, a federal judge or something. Or uh, you want to go to one of the exceptional medical schools because you want to be a medical researcher, right? Uh, you may, Perhaps you want to be an entrepreneur, and you're really excited about the potential of all the people who have a ton of great ideas and that melting pot and the opportunity to, to share and refine those ideas together. I think there's a lot of growth that happens at those schools. But if your plan is to go to an Ivy League school, get an undergraduate degree, and then join the workforce for a typical company, just kind of go work for somebody else, man, it is hard to believe that that's going to be worth it. 
Yeah, I certainly agree with that. And, you know, you see people with Ivy League degrees doing kind of quote unquote normal regular jobs like teaching or, you know, just working as like the manager of a company. And yeah, for those kinds of people, I sure hope they had a wonderful four years and I'm sure they did. It sounds really fun to me to go to an elite school like that and get to just soak up all these smart people around you and all these really talented professors and everything they have to offer. But yeah, if it's not going to be worth a huge price tag in the long run, I don't want to be paying down those student loans for the rest of my life just because it was a fun four years. doesn't seem like a great trade-off to me. Price tag. So we talked a little bit about the Ivies. We talked about private schools. What do private schools cost? Well, why don't we take a listen and find out what they cost in the Gilmore Girls universe? Okay. Let's hear our next clip. Hi. Oh, hi. Hi. Yeah, uh, my daughter Rory has just been accepted. Yay. <laughs> Thank you. And um, I got the invoice for your enrollment fee. Wow, that is a lot of zeros behind that five. Uh-huh. Okay, well, I guess what I'm wondering is if you couldn't take, say, part of it now just to get her going. But she's supposed to start Monday. It just doesn't give me a lot of time to pull a bank job. Well, never mind. I was just kidding. No, a bank job is robbing a bank, but no. Uh-huh. Oh, no. No, no, no. I, I, I don't want you to give up her space. I'll just, I'll have to figure it out. That's a tough clip to listen to. So, okay, you asked how much private schools cost. We hear Lorelai saying, wow, that is a lot of zeros behind that five. So do you think she's talking about half a million dollars, $50,000? I really don't know. And I, I feel like we're jumping to conclusions no matter what. I can't believe it would be $50,000 in 2000. I can't believe it'd be fifty thousand dollars for uh, per year at a, a boarding private school, even today. Or maybe for a boarding private school, but certainly not for uh, a commuter private school, like a, a more typical setup. So, is it five thousand dollars? If it's five thousand dollars, maybe it's five thousand a semester. Is it fifteen? Is it twenty-five? I don't know, but I'm guessing it's not five hundred. I feel very confident concluding that it's $5,000. Per semester or per school year? Per semester. Okay. So the average cost of private school in America today in 2021 is $14,000 a year. There are certainly schools that cost dramatically more than that. And given that Chilton is presented as sort of the creme de la creme, Mm -hmm. I would guess that Chilton is going to cost more than what the U.S. average was in 2000. So to do a total of $10,000 a year back in $2,000, the year $2,000, um, I think would be pretty reasonable to conclude that that's going to be about ten k per year for Rory's schooling. And Lorelai didn't know this was going to happen? Yep. Yep. It is literally mind-blowing to me that somebody would apply for their kid to get into public school to a private school and tell their kid as we heard in the earlier clip get her super excited about it buy her the plaid skirt for the uniform and 
everyone gets all amped and giddy and jumping up and down. And then, oh, oops, this is going to cost money. Well, it was 2000. She probably didn't have internet at home or it was like dial up. The website might not have told her. I mean, even if that's true, wouldn't they have like gone? In fact, I think they actually make a reference to this later in the episode that they had been to the school before to check it out. Surely they had like some nice glossy brochures, which somewhere at the back told you how much all these, you know, beautiful extracurricular activities and everything was going to cost. It would be extremely unusual for a school to not make that information available to someone who is seriously interested enough to apply. So Lorelai gets a huge F minus for this whole situation of being surprised at the cost of this schooling because, yeah, you don't see this in, in this particular clip, but moments before we hear her on the phone with Chilton, she opens the envelope for the invoice and she gasps. So this is clearly like some kind of news flash to her. Shame on you, Lorelai Gilmore. This is not a good money move. So if she gets an F minus, does that mean we never have to watch this awful show again? <laughs> don't pretend you don't love Gilmore right, Girls. You're not going to get away with that. So I don't think that what she did is as atypical as maybe you do. I, I mean, I'm equally disappointed. Look, you can't get emotionally invested in something on this scale. Go put some money into it, whatever it is without understanding the full ramifications. But I think we do this on a smaller scale just all the time in life, right? People go look at a new apartment and get all excited about it and forget about the fact that their furniture doesn't fit in there at all and they're going to have to go get rid of what they have and start all over and spend a bunch of money on that. Or somebody goes to buy a new truck or, or a big vehicle and forgets about the fact that their garage is only six inches shorter than their new long car <laughs> and it doesn't fit and their life is a little bit topsy-turvy because of that. Or maybe it's something small, like you decide you're going to go on a vacation somewhere, you see cheap airfare and you book it without even checking to see if there are hotels available. We do this all the time in life on different scales where we get emotionally invested in something and then we take steps and we're sort of like we're in for an inch, we're in for a mile kind of thing. We're almost pot committed, if you want to take a gambling reference there. Um, Painted yourself into a corner for the non-gambling people out there. Yeah, yeah. what can you say? I'm a degenerate. <laughs> no, I, I think this happens more often than we like to think on a small scale. But it's important to be aware of it. I, I think I, I'm hypersensitive to it and probably in a way that annoys you a little bit as what? my wife. Never. No, that you know, be. Whenever we want to plan something, I want it all planned out. I want to have the whole list of stuff before we take the first actual step because I don't want the surprises. I don't want to be emotionally committed and not able to think about how it all ties in together because it just hurts too much. <laughs> or, uh, Robert's or, a very sensitive guy. I like the Gilmore girls. So come on. <laughs> it's true. But also it's really not the emotional commitment for me as much as it is the financial one. It's really annoying to have to throw good money after bad because you started down some path and now there's a bunch of sunk costs. And while it's a fallacy, we all fall for it all the time. Well, it's no big deal. You know, you buy a car that's too long for your garage. You just build a new garage. And what's the big deal? I, I take the saw to the back of the car. <laughs> so yeah, what's... you're totally right. We do things like that in life a lot. And, you know, I'm just thinking of like 
home improvement projects, there are hidden costs there and you don't see things coming or you didn't, maybe there are things you certainly could have seen coming, but you didn't take the time to You see the glitz and skip the detail. Yeah, yeah. These countertops look great. Let's not worry about what it's going to take to tear out the old ones. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. We do make mistakes like that in life, but I do think we can still get mad at Lorelai because... But this is on a big scale. This is a huge one. Yeah, she's just told her daughter that she's going to have this huge new trajectory of life, which she is over the moon about, and then, oh, oh, that costs money? Oh, sorry. I mean, why didn't she just like plan a trip to Disney World and then be like, oh, wait, we have to fly there? I forgot about the airline tickets. Yeah, it's not. We have to find a place to stay? What we, <laughs> Mickey won't just shelter us with his giant ears? Cinderella yeah. has that whole castle. I mean, it's really selfish of her not to share when you get right down to it. Yeah, no, it's it's really terrible of Lorelai to do this to her high school age daughter and get her hopes so excited uh, and get her so pumped up about this new chance for her to thrive in life where she doesn't have the means to make it happen. So the show continues. What are they going to do about it? Yeah, so let's listen to Lorelai talking to her friend Suki about what the heck she's going to do. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? You can have anything I own. My car. Sell my car. Oh, sweetie, no one wants your car. Yeah. There's something I haven't thought of. I know there is. There's something out there staring me right in the face. I just, I haven't seen it. You know, you might consider calling your... Nope. But I don't think you have... You can at least go and... uh, Okay, can I say one more thing? I think it's your only option, Suki. There are several chapters from a Stephen King novel I'd reenact before I'd resort to that option. Okay, dropped, dropped. Thank you. Well, there you go. That's perfect. Amy Sherman Palladino dropping in some random little pop culture reference with the Stephen King there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Great writing. Um, not so great decision making here. So there's a lot of interesting things going on in this little clip. So we have Suki. Offering Lorelai anything she wants, up to and including her car, apparently. I don't think it's a genuine offer. I think she knows that her friend Lorelai is uh, not going to say, yeah, let's take that. Uh, Thank you. I certainly hope that that's the case. But man, Suki St. James is a great friend to have. She's being really kind and generous here, even if it is in a half-joking way. Yeah. So I feel like it's kind of an unusual conversation. Money is pretty taboo, the game of unspeakable fun. And we often don't have a chance to talk about it directly with other people in the world, right? It is so uncomfortable. No one likes to bring it up or or no one's sure that they could bring up money with somebody else. So who can most people talk to about this kind of thing? Like, do do you think most best friends have the ability to talk about this? Where where do these boundaries normally sit in the day-to-day world? I think in average society, it is generally an unwritten rule that you just don't talk about these kinds of things. You're going through some difficult money situation. That's on you. That's that's too personal. I don't want to hear about that, which is such, such a shame because money is a huge part of all of our lives. Everybody has to make decisions about their money. Everybody goes through difficult decisions about their money and to not be able to have open, honest conversations with your friends and family about it is kind of a tragedy. We've all contributed to the society where it's just considered 
completely untouchable. Anything finance related is just off the table. So I actually think that's one thing the show is doing really well is having this great friendship between Lorelai and Suki where they're open with each other about this serious financial thing that Lorelai is wrestling with. I think it's common to be able to talk about and sort of complain about how expensive that private school is, but you just couldn't say anything about, oh, well, but I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. I'm in this, I'm in a hole. I don't know how I can get out of it. I don't think that's realistic for most relationships. I also think that we all have our different financial circumstances and that really changes the situation too, right? If you, if Suki and Lorelai didn't work together and didn't have such similar financial constraints in their life, but maybe they, they had different careers and different roles, but we're still close friends. Even then, I, I think it would be much, much harder to bring it up and talk about it. If Suki were uh, a well-paid physician. Yeah, it would be hard for them to have this conversation without Suki feeling like she was asking her for money, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, Suki makes this, what you probably correctly point out is kind of a joking offer about like, you can sell my car. But I think that dynamic between the two of them is they do work together at the inn that Lorelai runs and Suki is the chef at. And so they probably know what each other's salaries are because of that unique or unusual circumstance. And yeah, I think they know that they're like on a level playing field and that makes a huge difference in the dynamic that we're seeing because it would be totally different for Lorelai to be complaining to her wealthy friend about how she's going to get out of this situation. Well, I think it's a bummer that we've made money such a taboo topic, no matter how much I like that board game. Uh, I, I think it just makes it hard for people to educate themselves, right? We learn so much about what we do in life from our friends, from our family, from other people. We learn a whole bunch of things incorrectly from the world of TV and movies and pop culture. But just simple conversations expose us to so many things. And gosh, we could all make a lot better decisions if we had all the information that our collective knowledge would work out a lot better than just riding solo. Yeah, we're doing our best here at Pennies and Popcorn to burst your bubble about the financial world that's presented to you on TV and in movies. But um, yeah, everybody go out and do your part and talk openly about your finances among your friends and family members because it's important stuff and we should all be discussing it and not hold back on the difficult decisions that we all have to make about money. So... Lorelai and Suki do not seem to have resolved anything, right? But Suki is obviously trying to urge Lorelai to go explore this mystery option that Lorelai seems to have that she doesn't want to uh, take on. She'd rather reenact a Stephen King novel than, than go do this. So why don't we watch our next clip and see what Lorelai is talking about here? Well, actually, I came here for a reason. Dad, would you mind sitting down for a minute? You need money. I have a situation. You need money. We just please let me get this out, okay? Um, Rory has been accepted to Chilton. Chilton? Oh, that's a wonderful school. It's only five minutes from here. That's right. It, it is. She can start as early as Monday. Um, the, the problem is that they want me to put down an enrollment fee plus the first semester's tuition, and I have to do that immediately or she loses her spot. So, you need money. 
Yeah. But it's not for me, it's for Rory. And I fully intend to pay you back every cent. I don't ask for favors, you know that. Oh yes, we know. I'll get the checkbook. Thank you. <laughs> you have no idea. Thank you. On one condition. So close. <laughs> I love Edward Herman. It makes me feel like I'm listening to a documentary. Yeah, he's got such a fabulous voice. Yeah. And then the other voice that you hear there is Kelly Bishop, who is also an acclaimed actress playing uh, Emily Gilmore, Lorelai's mom. A lot to unpack in this clip. So obviously the third option that or the, the other option that Lorelai and Suki were talking about is Lorelai going to her parents. And if you're listening to this, you can't see, but they're sitting in a very opulent living room as Lorelai asks her parents for money, as Edward Herman points out a few times. It's obvious that Lorelai's parents are very, very well-to-do folks. And yeah, I think one interesting thing here is Lorelai doesn't tell them how much it is and Edward Herman just is kind of like, whatever, I'll go get the checkbook. He doesn't even care how much it's going to cost. Yeah, so, the Gilmores definitely have eh, whatever costs wealth. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, yeah, what's that old joke about, like, if you have to ask, you can't afford it. This is, these are the kind of people that that joke is made about. They can afford whatever it is. They don't have to ask how much it's going to cost. So definitely coming from a huge, huge place of privilege here. Family is often one of the first places you turn to when you're in a state of financial strife. And it's kind of crazy that she has this amazing lifeline there that she doesn't want to go talk to. So what's what's going on with that in the show? So Lorelai is kind of estranged from her parents. She had Rory when she was just 16 years old. So there's only a 16 year age gap between the two of them which is part of the reason that they're presented as kind of like freakishly close throughout the series. But Lorelai had Rory and like took off to start her own life. She did not want to be part of her parents' privileged universe. So she ran from the world of like cotillion and fancy dresses and fancy parties and fancy schools. And so it's kind of ironic, I guess, that Rory is now kind of climbing back into that world by going to this really fancy school when Lorelai just fled from it the first chance she got. So it sounded like Emily Gilmore, Lorelai's mother, is dangling a catch. Indeed she is. So this is the lead up to the famous Friday night dinners, which is a huge plot point throughout the whole series. So the condition that Emily's mom is about to lay out is that Lorelai and Rory come to their house every week on Friday nights to have dinner with the parents. There is definitely an issue with Lorelai's approach to this whole scenario in my mind. I've already declared my love for the show. Lauren Graham plays Lorelai beautifully and Lorelai is a great character in so many ways, but good heavens, this lady has absolutely no gratitude for this incredible gift that is being laid at her feet. Her parents are agreeing to pay for an expensive private school for her daughter. And their only catch is she gets a free dinner every week. Yeah, it costs her a dinner on Friday nights at her super wealthy parents' house. That will be like a gourmet dinner prepared by their large house staff that serves it to them in an elegant setting. 
it's a pretty small price to pay for an interest-free <laughs> loan for your kid's dream. Yeah, one person's catch is another person's, oh my God, I would jump at the chance to have that. Yeah, it's pretty wild that Lorelei just has zero recognition of the privilege that she's got access to here. She has just this incredible fail-safe in life, right? This huge backstop. No matter what happens to her, she has these two people who care about her and will have her back. Period. Now, that's not to say that it doesn't come with some snide remarks. And we do get to see the first Friday night dinner in this episode. And we hear some of those very snide remarks. And they're not fun. I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of them. But at the same time, she's got to recognize that she's got so much safety in life that most people would absolutely kill for. Yeah, there was a bit of a meltdown at dinner and Rory had her own bit of drama going into dinner. Everyone was a bit heated going over to the Gilmore's place. But yeah, there was no good reason for so much angst about this. It's just such an incredible windfall to have this available in your life. And if you have access to this kind of love and appreciation, cherish it. Right? Most people don't. Yeah, it's such a tiny fraction of folks who have access to a super, super wealthy relative of any kind, let alone your parents directly who, you know, would do a lot for you. And Lorelai is their only child. So she is like the only recipient of all of their wealth. So she's got a pretty good setup in life and she complains about it an awful, awful lot. I don't think once in seven seasons do we hear Lorelai acknowledge how lucky she is that she has this safety net under her at all times. So at that first Friday night dinner, Rory was in a bit of a snit because she met a boy. Indeed she did. She met Dean. And we've been going for a long time. I don't know that we have time to break into the beginning of all of the love stories with Dean and with Jess and with Logan. Whose team are you on? Who do you support? Or do we have to save that for another episode? <laughs> we can do a little teaser, which is that I am reluctantly team Jess. Okay. Can I be like team Babette slash Kirk? That's not how these teams work, is it? <laughs> not exactly. I'm team Paris. Yeah. In general, I'm team team Kim, Lane Kim and her mom, Mrs. Kim. Okay. I'm pro Paris. She and I are a lot alike. I was totally a jerk in high school and then eventually mellowed out a little bit. A little bit. Well, next time we've, we're going to cover a lot more Gilmore Girls episodes in the future because this this show is just jam packed with money issues. So we'll dive into a few more over the, over time. With as much dialogue as they have, surely there's <laughs> that's true. There's, there's like 14 seasons worth of talking in the seven seasons of the show. Yep, that's about right. That math checks out. Well, we'll dive more into Team Dean, Jess, Logan, Babette, Kirk. In Paris. Uh, in episodes to come. But that's all for today. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Thanks. Take care.